I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. Would the world care about and remember you if you were killed by the police? Would your life matter? Would the world pause for even a moment or would life just go on as usual? Feeling as if she was suffocating in the initial silence and lack of public outcry in the aftermath of the death of the murder of Breonna Taylor, Faith Brooks wrestled with these questions. The result was, is, a new book out today, in fact. It's called Remember, My, Remember Me Now, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women. I am pleased to be joined by educator, writer, and activist Faith Brooks in this hour. Faith Brooks, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. It's good to have you on the program. Thank you for the time. Glad we have the hour. A lot to talk about. Again, the book is called Remember Me Now, Remember Me Now A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter uh, to Black Women. Um, let me just go back to the beginning. Uh, no better place to start a conversation than at the beginning, certainly this one. Um, take me back to those moments when you heard about uh, the murder of uh, the death of Breonna Taylor. Yeah, so I was um, doing a lot of protesting and, um, you know, communication about what was going on with George Floyd. And when Brianna's story emerged um, nationally, because it had been um, a few months since she had actually been killed, um, I, I just kind of felt so frustrated and disappointed by the fact that oftentimes with Black women, our stories are suppressed. And I wanted to um, really sit with the fact that her life had so much meaning and value. But I was so struck by the fact that everybody was celebrating her and having her on these magazine covers, illustrations of her. They were everywhere. But she was gone already. And it really made me think about what would it be like if we were remembered now? right now and not just when we are gone because Brianna should still be here with us. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the fact? Um, let me preface this by saying that I feel about Brianna Taylor, the way I feel about Trayvon Martin. And that is that while folk in the immediate circle of Brianna Taylor, folk in the immediate circle of Trayvon Martin uh, were wrestling with this, uh, obviously from the moment they learned about it, we're trying to, elevate a conversation about this, um, these murders from the moment they happened. And yet with Trayvon Martin and Breonna Taylor, it took some time for these, uh, these murders to get the attention they deserve. As you, you know, as I pointed out in my introduction a moment ago, uh, that there was this immediate sort of silence around the murder of Breonna Taylor. And over time, over time, over time, that story starts to push out because there were people who were determined not to let her life, her death, I should say, be, um, in vain. Uh, but Trayvon was the same way. It took black media. I remember that well. Um, I was a part of it. Uh, we pushed and pushed and pushed to make this uh, a national story. I think of the Genesis, 
uh, and my friend Michael Bayston and all that Michael did to push that story out. So uh, it takes black media oftentimes. And that's why I say all the time that black media is more relevant and more necessary now than we have ever been. Why? Glad you asked, because there's some stories that don't get covered if we don't cover them. Some issues that don't get discussed if we don't discuss them. Some topics that don't get pushed if we don't push them. And so we have to uh, respect and uh, support, as far as I'm concerned, African-American-owned media. But this Breonna Taylor story, again, like the Trayvon Martin story, took a while to sort of gestate before it got pushed out. What do you, what do you, what do you make of that? Because when I read your book, uh, part of what the takeaway is for me is that people may eventually realize that you were gone. They may eventually come to terms with your death. They may eventually wrestle with the questions about why you were murdered. But that wasn't the case initially for either Trayvon or Brianna. That's my take. What's your take, Faith Brooks? Yeah, I think one thing that when I think about um, Brianna, it's, it reminded me of what happened to Sandra Bland, Tatiana Jefferson. There was some level of coverage, and then, you know, things kind of just fade away. And I think that that is so common when it comes to Black women and when it comes to our deaths. And it was very frustrating for me. It was frustrating for me to continuously see that it's like you said, you have to really push black media, really have to push activists to spread her story around and to bring um, bring it to light, bring that relevance out into the forefront. But why is it that for black women, especially black women, this is oftentimes the case where it is so hard to um, gather a collective outcry um, when a person's life has been taken unjustly, especially by law enforcement. And so I just think for me as a black woman, when I looked at my life and when I looked at um, what I'm doing and what I hope for other black women, it's for us to find a way to come home to ourselves, to find healing, to find rest, because People really are showing that even in our death, sometimes our lives don't matter. So we have to make our lives matter to ourselves. Mm. The book is called Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women. Just getting started in our conversation with the author of that book, Faith Brooks. We'll continue when we come forward in a moment on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Tavis Smiley, she's Faith Brooks, and I'm delighted to be in dialogue with her in this hour. Her book out today, in fact, is called Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women. Just really getting started in this conversation in this hour. Faith Brooks, when you say a journey back to myself, by that you mean exactly what? It was a journey to rediscovering myself and really just trying to find what home looked like for me. And that took a lot of time and emotional energy because I had to begin healing and looking at what does it look like for me to show up for myself, for me to be the person that I need to be without having to worry about what others are thinking about me or what others need from me. Mm -hmm. Let me circle back to Brianna uh, before we go forward. Um, I talked a moment ago, we talked a moment ago about the fact that it took some time for this story to sort of, um, you know, uh, rise to uh, the level of our consciousness about what had happened to her. Um, but there was this initially, this silence, uh, there was initially this lack of public outcry. 
Uh, talk to me more about how, as a black woman, you read or read, as it were, that lack of public outcry about this this murder, frankly, of uh, this young black woman in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, I think for me, I saw it as people don't care about us. Mm, mm, mm. They don't care about black women, and we are simply um, there to be the helpers. We're there to help lead movements. We're there to coordinate protests. Um, we're there to help make people's lives better. But when it comes to caring about us and advocating for us, we're on our own. Mm. What does it mean for black women to be their own activist? It means we get to choose how to show up for ourselves, how to say no. We get to be our own best advocate and we aren't, trusting somebody else to do and be that for us. We have to consciously decide that whatever it is that I need to heal, whatever it is that I need to feel whole and safe and well, I have to decide that and I have to use my own agency to make sure that that happens. I wonder whether or not you think the world is um, determined, intent, to silence black women. And that, that, that'd be a damning indictment if it were true. And it may be. I'm just asking your take on it. Whether you think that 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 the world is um, is uh, is out to silence black women. I think that the world doesn't necessarily value black women. And because the world doesn't necessarily value black women, our voices, I would say, aren't pushed to the forefront in the same way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the journey of black women is getting easier um, or you think it's more difficult or as difficult now to be a black woman as, ever, as, as it's ever been? I think that there are some elements of being a black woman where things are easier, but I think the sentiment still remains that, um, you know, black women still have to work three times as hard. I think we're still the most disenfranchised group in um, the United States. And I think that we um, are still looked down upon, you know, so there's a lot of disadvantages that black women have, but I do think that black women have persevered with resilience and have continued to make strides, make ways for ourselves and um, continue to break down barriers that still happens. And I, I think that's one thing I love about being a black woman. That's one thing I'm grateful for, for my grandmother, my mother, my great grandmother, mm-hmm. for the, you know, the things that they did, you know, so it's a little bit easier for me, but it's still hard. Yeah. Speaking of breaking down barriers, um, I, I wonder how, uh, Faith Books, you'd respond to um, those who say that now is the best time ever to be a black woman in America. I, I hear this kind of commentary routinely that now is the best time to be black in America. Uh, and with, with specific regard to black women, uh, they argue that now uh, is the best time to be a black woman in America because they see all these African-American women who are achieving these first. You see Ketanji Brown-Jackson on the U.S. Supreme Court. You see Kamala Harris as vice president. You see 
um, a sister on the Fed. Uh, everywhere you look, you see African-American women who are sort of coming into their own, a black woman running MSNBC. I can do this all day long. These black women who are assuming positions of power and authority and leadership uh, in ways that we have never seen. Sisters running companies like Walgreens. I mean, there are any number of examples of these, not as many as there ought to be, uh, not as many as compared to their peers, but certainly black women in the minds of many are coming into their own. So when you talked a moment ago about breaking down barriers, indeed you are, black women are breaking down barriers. And yet I'm always concerned that we overread that because there are a handful of sisters who are doing well. We extrapolate that to mean that all black women are doing well. And then you end up at this point where people start suggesting that now is the best time ever to be a black woman in America. So it's, it's on the, it's, it's a, it's a, it's this duality, right? On the one hand, you want to celebrate the success that black women are having. On the other hand, you don't you don't want people to take the success that some sisters are having and and, and and take that to mean or try to make that mean that black women are doing better than they ever have. And they don't have any issues that they're dealing with every day. Um, I think you take the point I'm trying to make. What's your read on that? You know, I think that it's. I love that you said. I love that you said what you said because um, we oftentimes do highlight a few, you yep. know, a yep. small minority to say, "Look, see, they're all doing great. Everything's fine." Well, the truth is, is that while it's uh, incredible what's happening within um, the black community with women and the positions of power that many have begun to assume, it's still a very small minority. So we're not talking to a lot of the, you know, your regular average black women about where they're at. What are those demographics looking like? What are the numbers economically? Like, what are all the things that are impacting black women and how, like, what's the actual percentage of black women that are achieving that level of success across the board? Mm -hmm. And I think looking at that, looking at the actual numbers, you'll see that that's a very small number. And I think that we have to be wise with our words. Yes, it's great what's happening to black women. And there are a lot of achievements that have happened. But at the same time, there's a lot of black women that are struggling. We still are, you know, in the middle of an economic crisis. There's a lot of black women um, that are still not being paid what they should be paid. We know that black women are um, disenfranchised, disadvantaged when it comes to having competitive pay and salaries. All of these things impact black women as a whole. And so when I'm talking about remembering us, saying our names, and why it's important for us to care for ourselves, it's because it's been shown in society itself that black women are the last to truly be cared for mm. and thought about. Nope. I so I want people to really, you know, reframe their minds and ask themselves why, you know, why do you not think about black women? Why are you not um, actually caring about the lives of these black women? Like if you are not moved by Breonna Taylor's story because you're like, well, let's get all the facts. Why is that? Mm -hmm. mm. I hear you on that point and um, couldn't agree more. Let, let, let me ask you a question about black women and intimidation. And let me sort of nuance it this way. Um, I guess the first question is whether or not you think um, that black women intimidate other people, number one. And number two, whether or not you think that black women internalize the fact that other folk are intimidated by them. And if, in fact, they do internalize the fact that other folk are intimidated by them, how do you how do you, how do you navigate that journey? 
Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It makes complete sense. It's actually something that um, really led me to go to counseling when I was 25. Mm. I was really, you know, focused. I had gotten my degree in social work. I was, you know, working well, doing good at my job. And um, people were really intimidated by me. And I remember crying all the time, talking to my mom, talking to my therapist, like, I don't know what to do. I'm just being myself. I'm showing up as myself and I'm encountering all of this conflict or people don't like me, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn that this is just who I am. And I have two options now. I can either try to change myself. I could try to shrink. I could try to, you know, uh, fit in with what everybody else is doing, which I tried doing. So (laughs) I had already explored that option very well. Um, Or I could learn how to just accept myself. It wasn't just people in the workplace, mind you, or around me that were finding me intimidating. It was in dating. It was relationships. It was all kind of different aspects. And so I just really had to dig deep and say, you know what? What kind of a person do I want to be? And am I okay with being that person even if I get rejected? Am I okay with being this woman and, you know, owning my power, owning my leadership, owning my skills, being okay with that and showing up fully? And I decided that I was okay with that. I decided that I wanted to go on the journey of being able to be fully who I was without assimilating, without having to make everybody feel like I was... um, you know, making them happy. I wanted to make me happy. I wanted to feel good about showing up in the room and space. And it took work, but it was worth it. And yes, I do think to your question, people are intimidated by black women sometimes. And I think that is for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're insecure. Sometimes you show up confident and you understand and know what you want to talk about. And you aren't afraid to go ahead and speak up. You're not afraid to provide solutions. You're not afraid to innovate. And that can be intimidating to some people. And sometimes without you ever saying a word, Mm -hmm. you just show up and your presence exudes strength, power, and, you know, compassion, all of these things without you ever having to say anything. You can never apologize for how you show up in a room with confidence and with grace. You cannot. And you can't control how people view you or perceive you either. And so I just had to understand that the more I began to fall in love with myself, the more I began to um, show up fully, that there would be some people who didn't understand. And I just had to let them not understand and grow to love myself. Otherwise, I would have been living in turmoil constantly. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you say to people um, listening right now who have... Um um, at some point in their life succumbed, if I can put it that way, um, gave in, surrendered to this notion to shrink in front of others because they felt that uh, their presence intimidated other people. Yeah, I would say to those people to find your way to um, put your heels in the sand, dig your feet in, and um, begin holding yourself up. Start thinking about what you want, what you like, and why you should say what you speak up in that that room, in that boardroom, why you need to make that deal, why you need to address those things with people. 
um, and finding your way. It takes time, you know? Mm. So I would really encourage people to take time to get to know yourself, which is some of the things that I talk about in the book. Find rest and space. What do you need to do so you can just think? So for me, I like to sit in silence. I like to, you know, meditate, pray, give myself a minute to just kind of process things. And I find that in silence, I can have more um, creative energy and just things come to me. But it took me time to learn what I needed, how I could show up to be the best version of myself as possible. And it takes people time to do that when you're talking about addressing people like as you are, right? You, mm-hmm. you know that there's a lot of stereotypes about black women, strong black women. Um, and so you have to kind of give yourself space to learn what's going to make you feel centered. So that way, when you are walking in the fullness of who you are, you aren't thrown off by people's negative comments, by their slights, their microaggressions, whatever it is, because you know who you are and you know how you show up and why you're choosing to be Mm. um, your full self in these spaces. It becomes this act and this practice for you to develop a, um, a really, a really like a ritual almost, you know, a habit for yourself of love and care. When we come forward, I, I want to come right back. I got to get this. Uh, let me do some news, traffic, and sports here, right quick. When we come forward, though, faith, I want to come back to this notion of silence. Um, I think there's value. Uh, I'm trying to learn this in my own life. There's value in in finding that secret secret place where you can sort of hide away. Um, there is value in spending some time in silence. And yet, for all of us, uh, for any of us, for each of us, that's not easy to do these days, but particularly and especially for black women, given all that's on the plates of black women, um, wives and mothers and 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 work and witness and all the things that black women are doing. It's not easy to find that time to spend in silence. I want to talk about that and a great deal more. Her book is called Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women. The author of that book is our guest in this hour. Her name is Faith Brooks, and you're listening to her right now on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley, and they are the Winans. I love that track, Secret Place. My mind started thinking about that song as Faith Brooks and I were in conversation about black women needing to find a secret place, a way to spend some time in silence, a place where nobody else can get but you. Uh, we all need that space in our lives, and yet it's not easy to find, particularly and especially, it seems to me, for black women who have so much on their plate. Now, talk to me about the difficulty, Faith Brooks, of finding that secret place. Well, it is really hard to find it. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. Uh, I have learned that, you know, I have to find those moments in that time um, during little spurts. So, for example, um, if I know I just need to put my phone away, I just need a few minutes. Sometimes I'll just lay down and I'll just give myself a minute. It's not... Um, something where it's super regimented. So some people get intimidated because they think, okay, wait, I have to like sit down. I need to light candles and do all this stuff. You know, no, you don't have to do all of that. It's just about finding space for you to calm your body and calm your mind. You know, you can actually fall asleep and quote unquote rest without actually mentally resting with your, your mind can still, you can go to bed sleepy and you can wake up (laughs) sleepy. Mm. And, um, 
I realized that I was stressing about so many different things in life and I wasn't giving myself enough time and space to just rest, calm my mind, not just physical rest, but also mental rest. And so offering myself moments and spaces of silence just to sit there, sometimes I thought about something, sometimes I said something to myself, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I just let myself be. The freedom to just do that gave me space to learn what rest actually looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm smiling because we had a guest on this program. Jay, you find that name for me. I'm blanking on her name. I remember the sister was on you just some week or so ago. We had a great conversation here at the start of the year about the seven types of rest uh, that are available to us this year. It's not just mental. It's not just physical, but there are seven types of rest that are Sandra, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Thank you. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith is her name. Um, she's done some great work. Look her up. Sandra, S-A-U-N-D-R-A, Dalton-Smith. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith um, had a great conversation with us the other day on this program about the seven types of rest and how we can access them and how we find our way into them uh, to maximize this moment, make the most of 2023. So if you missed that conversation, check out our podcast of our conversation with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. And it was a great conversation, a lot lot of interest in that uh, dialogue about the seven types of rest that are available to us if we would uh, uh, avail ourselves of them. So I hear Faith making the point now. Uh, about having to rest sometimes, and uh, I, I enjoyed that conversation the other day as I'm enjoying this one. Um, let, me, let, let me ask um, whether or not you think that the drama that black women encounter, which which leads them to need some rest every now and then, to find that secret place every now and then, whether or not you think the drama that black women continue to endure these days, we were talking earlier about Breonna Taylor uh, and her being murdered by these police, um, I wonder whether or not you think the drama that so many black women in, uh, encounter today uh, has to do with the stereotypes. You mentioned stereotypes earlier, the stereotypes that endure about black women. You see a link between those two things, the drama and the stereotypes? Oh, for sure. I mean, we feel the weight of you know what people are thinking about us and saying about us in society, but also our daily lives in the workplace. While it's nice that there are uh, plenty of jobs that have gone remote and things like that, there's still, you know, many people have to go into work every day dealing with, you know, microaggressions, dealing with people who don't prefer to work with you, who are telling you things and acting like, you know, you aren't, um, worthy of either your your job, your position, or even of respect. And mm-hmm. so having to combat that every day um, during, you know, your workday, but then also seeing things on social media and um, negative portrayals and tropes of, of Black women, it's not helpful, you know? So you're constantly having to um, have an uphill battle, if you will, um, up against those stereotypes. And so we need to have that place of rest for ourselves because there's really no break. You know, we don't get a break from being black. We don't get a break from being black women. And so we're always having to deal with this stuff. And it's a matter of finding how can I deal with these things, but then also enjoy my life, have peace in my own life. And so that's something that I've really been working on in my um, personal journey is finding ways to cultivate peace within me, even if the world and life is chaotic around me. And it is um, truly something 
that has begun to transform my life, learning how not to be so affected by all of the stress that I can't even find pockets of happiness in my own life. I want to be happy and fulfilled in my life, regardless um, of the challenges that I might face. There is something that I can find joy in each day, and I want to make sure I do that. It is, uh, it's one thing, Faith, to be disregarded, demeaned, disenfranchised, devalued by others on the one hand. It's another thing, on the other hand, um, to, how might I put this, expect or demand too much of ourselves, put pressure on ourselves. I remember a conversation that I had with the late, great Bill Withers, and I think it's part of his documentary. There's a great documentary called Still Bill. Um, and some of you have seen the documentary. If you've not, look it up. It's a great, uh, the best documentary done about the life and legacy of the great artist Bill Withers, uh, who I miss to this very day. But Bill and I were in conversation once, uh, and they recorded this conversation for the documentary called Still Bill. And I was asking Bill why, as such a great artist, he decided to retire so early. At the top of his game, making hit music, Bill Withers sort of just stepped away. And he said something to me that day that uh, was really you know, quite philosophical as Bill was. And I've been wrestling with it for all these years, and I still wrestle with this notion. So Bill says to me, when I asked him, Faith, why he retired you know, at that point in his career, he said to me, Tavis, sometimes on the way to great, you get to good. And good was good enough for me. Sometimes on the way to great, you get to good, and good was good enough for me. And in that documentary, I don't know how much of it they kept in, but in that documentary, we sort of went at this conversation. I'm like, well, well, Bill, if you know you're on the way to greatness, like, why would you just stop? And I couldn't get that. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And over the years, I've come to appreciate his answer a great deal more. I've wrestled with it and marinated on it, and I get it. Uh, I, I raise and share that story because I wonder whether or not sometimes in life, and we're talking now particularly and especially about black women, Uh, While the world may treat us one way, while the world may see us one way, while the world may be trying to silence us or to ignore us or to exploit us, I wonder on the flip side whether or not, Faith, you think black women sometimes are guilty of expecting, demanding too much of themselves. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I could tell you that I'm guilty of that, you know. Um, I... I have high expectations for myself and um, I know that I've had to even reckon with the fact that, you know what, I have to be gentle with myself, Um, which is why I talk so much about it within the book, because it's a process that I've been going um, through myself. And I love, you know, um, what you just said, because, you know, we sometimes can focus so much on the great thing, and not celebrate the good thing. Yes. And yes, we yes. have this society right now that is very um, fueled by social media virality, um, you know, having your big moment and constantly seeking that. And the truth is, is that if you are only pursuing that, only focusing on that, we can easily be very unhappy. And so as a black woman, I really have to continue to ask myself questions like, if I never did anything else, am I proud of myself? Am I happy with my life? Do I feel grateful for um, where I have arrived to? And my answer would be yes. And so the older that I get, the more I understand exactly what you were just saying about Bill Withers, which is 
good good is amazing you know and there's nothing wrong with that and we have a society that wants us to keep just keep working hard keep yeah. working hard keep working hard um but is it really worth it if it's to our detriment is it really worth it if our mental health suffers in pursuit of this uh greatness yeah. per se um and so i want us as black women to say to ourselves we're already good enough now we are already loved now. How can we continue to show up for ourselves? How can we be more gentle with ourselves, more mm-hmm. gentle with our expectations of ourselves? How can we begin to heal? How can we show up and say, you know what? I want to do this for myself. I want to take this trip solo. I've always wanted to, you know, write a book or I've always wanted to write a play. I want to explore different things and hobbies what can we do to bring ourselves joy in the same way that our presence and assistance brings joy to other people you know and so i think that's just important for us it is indeed um our many moments with faith books when we come forward on kbla talk 1580 let's unpack a little bit more with tavis smiley the conversation continues right now right now now. it does indeed our guest in this hour is faith books uh her book is called remember me now a journey back to myself and a love letter to black women. Um, this book is in part the result of uh, faith uh, pondering, suffocating, in fact, in the initial silence and lack of public outcry uh, about the murder of Breonna Taylor. And when you internalize these um, these sorts of uh, tragic deaths, it does, in fact, make you uh, ponder how you might be treated, um, how you might be regarded or remembered or not. If the police um, had come in uh, and killed you in the way they killed Breonna Taylor, you know, that old adage, and I believe it there. But for the grace of God, go I there. But for the grace of God, go I could have been any one of us could be any one of us. And even if you have a number of years left in your life, at some point, we all are going to have to do that dance with mortality um, at some point. Uh, And so it's worth pondering uh, these kinds of questions. And so her book is called Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself. And a love letter to black women. Um, Faith, let me um, ask you to take uh, folk inside the book. Uh, this book is uh, it's part manifesto. It's part love letter to black women. Uh, it's got stories and poems and letters and a lot of, a lot of good stuff inside the, the text. Um, so just uh, uh, kind of illustrate for the audience what they're going to see when they go inside the pages of Remember Me Now. Yeah, so um, I would love to read a poem that you can find in um, the chapter that's called Good Ancestors Make Room. It's chapter six, and it's at the end. So um, it's really um, a poem that I wrote um, being inspired by my ancestors. So I'll read it to you all now. I whisper into the wind a prophetic proclamation, the same one my ancestors taught me. I speak over my lineage. I carry the voice of my people. I don't need permission to speak. I will not be reduced. I will not be ignored. I will not fight to be heard. Ida, Sojourner, Harriet, Francine, Sharon, and Patricia have ensured even my whisper will carry weight through the wind. They made a way for me. I walk in their footsteps, black and bold, embodied resistance, tender loving, 
unrelenting strength. I am because they were. You are because I am. We are tethered by blood, by love, and by story. Your voice is a melody. If you listen closely, you can hear your whisper in the wind. In harmony with your sisters, you release the sound of liberation. My song is your song. Your song is our song. We will be remembered here. Monuments will arise in our honor. Mm. So yeah, that's that poem. It's a beautiful piece. It's a beautiful piece. Um, so much went through my head as you were reading. I, the last thought I had was that of my friend Harry Belafonte, Mr. B., who um, uh, used to always say, Tabis, get the world to sing your song. That's what we're trying to do. Get the world to sing your song, he put it. I also thought as you were reading and use that phrase black and bold uh, in my own lifetime, uh, I, have, I, have, I have pondered and, and still am pondering whether or not the world is really ready for black men to show up as black and bold. If the world can handle, mm-hmm. handle males who are black and bold, can the world truly handle women who are black and bold? Well, I think they're just going to have to figure it out because we're coming <laughs> black and bold. <laughs> <laughs> they just got to figure it out, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, because yeah. we, we're showing up as our full selves. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm just uh, two or three minutes left in this conversation. Let me bring this thing full circle. I, w- I want to go back to Breonna Taylor. We began this conversation, and again, for those who may have just tuned in, this book in part uh, comes out of uh, Faith Brooks's wrestling with the murder of Breonna Taylor. The book is called Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women. Um, it's been s- some time now. Um, for the family of Breonna Taylor, uh, I know you never close on the death of a loved one like you close on a house. But as you have pondered over these many, many months now, uh, the the death, the murder of Breonna Taylor. Have you have you been able to make any sense out of it? Have you come to terms with it? What 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 are your thoughts? Um, these many months removed now from the murder of Breonna Taylor. That's a really great question. I don't know if I will ever come to terms with a black woman being killed unjustly by law enforcement, but I have come to this place of peace in the sense that. I want to do my part to continue to uplift her name and to honor her legacy. And I want to encourage other black women to continue to do the same. We are our sister's keeper. And I think that's what we have to remember as we journey through life. We need each other. And I at least have peace in the fact that there are many people who have begun to, um, support black women in the way that they might not have before Breonna Taylor's death. And um, that gives me um, good peace to know that that's happening, but I don't know if I'll ever find full, complete internal um, solace completion, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of what happened to Breonna. Well, there is good peace, P-E-A-C-E, and there's also good peace, P-I-E-C-E. And this is a good piece of work. It's called remember me now. 
A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women, written by Faith Brooks, who's been our guest for the hour. And I've been delighted to have had her on. Faith, congratulations on the book being published today. Glad to have you on on Publication Day. Thank you for thinking of us. Enjoyed the conversation immensely and wish you all the best in the coming months and years. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good to have you on. That is our show for today. Back here tomorrow morning, Lord willing to do it all over again. Uh, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time. Time now to make room for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson, followed by a head of the crypto curve with Naja Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, until tomorrow morning, and as always, keep the faith. <laughs>